The Jen, Gabe and Chewy podcast is sponsored by Celsius Energy Drink, and I am here to tell you it makes a huge difference in my mornings. With a unique blend of essential energy and key vitamins, Celsius is your partner to an active lifestyle. My favorite, the peach vibe. Learn more at Celsius.com and pick up Celsius Energy Drinks today. She wants to ride it. She's trying to hide it. I'm cool as ever. She's too excited. Her man looks like he wanna fight. He ain't doing nothing but running his mouth. Talk about it. We all about it. They make the plans. We sit and count. Our chairs stack just like a mountain. You heard about it. She running her mouth. If there's one thing I am fairly certain of over the last 25 minutes. I don't think I know what an inner monologue is. I think I thought I knew what an inner monologue was. But after talking to Gabe Neitzel, it's distinctly possible, Chew, that I have no idea what an inner monologue is. Do you know what an inner monologue is? You know what a monologue is. Well, yes, in a in a play or a movie when somebody... She's seen SNL. Also, on this show, I think I go into monologue mode. Probably so more often than I should. Inner monologue is when you talk to yourself without talking? Okay, but this is the distinction. Is it? It's not a conversation. You're not having a conversation with yourself, um, right? Yeah, it could be. I think it could nah, be. I don't think then that's a monologue. But you're I- having a conversation with your log. Monologue means singular, and you're the only one in the conversation. But isn't your monologue voice... Its own separate entity. This is what I'm saying. If you're having a conversation, like a debate, like, should I do that? I don't know if I should do that. Here are the reasons why I should do it. Here are the reasons why I shouldn't do it. That's a conversation between me and the monologue. It can't be a monologue. Uh No. No, you're having a conversation with yourself. Unless, I guess, you're schizophrenic. Um, (laughs) Which, in case, I guess then... That character from Primal Fear. Wait, he was faking it. That was the twist. So if you're in a group of people... And in your head, you say about one guy, this guy's a doucher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that an inner monologue? Yeah, if you're saying that to yourself, yes. Oh, then yeah, I have an inner monologue. The reason I bring this up is because I was blown away by this information that you guys threw into the Jen Gabe and Tui Chewy text chain. Not the Tui. It's the Chewy. <laughs> Although the Tui is a uh, highway in Northern Illinois. Apparently, 50 to 70% of people don't have an inner monologue. As someone who does, I have so many questions, such as when you read a book, do you not hear the words in your head as you read them? What happens? 50 to 70% is a lot. I assumed that everybody had an inner monologue, but I think what we were determining this morning is that maybe I'm not exactly sure what an inner monologue is. Is an inner monologue as simple as that voice inside your head that tells you when you should or shouldn't do something? That's a conscience. Yeah, I think that's different. So a conscience is not the same as an inner monologue? Can your conscience be your inner monologue? I think your conscience can play a factor in your inner monologue, but like if you do something that you know is wrong and then you feel bad about it, that's your conscience making you feel bad. Okay, so give me an example of an inner monologue. So say you're You're sitting on the couch okay, and you're thinking, I need to get up and do the dishes and take out the garbage before I go and get the kids at six. If you're talking to yourself while doing those things in your head and you're thinking, I need to do X, Y, and Z and get those things going. You're talking to no one, but in your head, you're holding a conversation with yourself. Well, then everyone has to have one. That's what I'm saying. This person on social media, Janet, 
says 50 to 70% of people don't have an inner monologue. Yeah, uh, that's so I found a website that has the article verywellmind.com um, where they quote a doctor saying, yeah, f- between 30 and 50% of people frequently experience an inner monologue. What about uh, researchers who have used different research methods have concluded the frequency of inner speech is much higher, with one study suggesting people experience 75%. So maybe 75% of people have it. But I guess the overall point is not everybody does. Do you talk to yourself out loud? Uh, Sometimes. Would that negate the inner monologue if you're just doing it out loud? Becomes an outer monologue? Like yesterday, I was putting up our new ring doorbell at the house, and I I initially had put it a little higher than I should have, so I called myself a dip bleep out loud. Here's a great way to explain not having an inner monologue. It might show up sometimes, but for the most part, your mind is quiet. It can feel like you aren't thinking about anything. Instead of experiencing a voiceover or narration, you take an inf- you take in information but don't really think about it. A person without an inner monologue isn't constantly imagining their next move in their head. So exactly that what I scene of putty sitting on the couch. <laughs> He's got no Seinfeld inner monologue. Yeah, is what I'm picturing right now, and and, and that is that's got to be another component of an inner monologue, right? When you're picturing things when someone is talking, like you're talking, you're reading that thing off, and my mind immediately conjures up that image of David Putty from Seinfeld. That probably then lends itself to creating an inner monologue. Yes? I suppose. I I mean, to me, this is all about how your brain works. And I guess I just assumed that everybody's brain worked similarly. Some worked more efficiently than others, and some worked at a higher (laughs) level than others, but that the brain in general all worked the same way. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) As much as you travel, as many things as you've seen, You've come to the conclusion that everyone's brain works similarly? Well, just like at its at its most basic functionality, yes. Everyone, every person's brain works the same way. Some people's work better than others, some are more high efficiency than others. It'd be like a, it'd be like an automobile engine. At the end of the day, the engine works the same way, but it's different between, you know, a low end, you know, I don't want to take out anybody's car, so I don't want to Chevy throw out Nova. Let's just throw out an old one. And a high-end, high-performance vehicle, right? Am I wrong on that, Chew? No, you're right. I'm following you. <laughs> Mine works like a. Yeah. First of all, we do the Corolla. show with him. <laughs> we, 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 you'd have to travel very far. We do the show with Chewy. Just so you know, and Chewy, you go. Corolla is the car I was going to go to as well. <laughs> and, and you, after doing the show for three years with Mark Chimura, have come to the conclusion that all brains work the same. At their most basic and primal function, yes. See, I probably have the most inner monologue because my interaction with people during the day is very, very limited. You guys are always around people. Jen, you're around kids. Uh, Gabe, you're always working. Joshy, you're always working. I'm sitting here from 1 o'clock till 6 o'clock for my wife to be done. Oh, and it's a it's a roll it's fun. It's a roller coaster. So that ride. makes sense to me as well that you because you're not interacting with as many people, yes. your inner monologue would be no, more That doesn't make yeah. sense at all because when I when I'm talking all? to you guys on the radio, I'm having an inner monologue. I'm thinking what am I going to say next? What do I need to do next? Here's what's up. So next. basically the inner monologue is just preview mode then. Yeah. Basically, right? like yeah. in television, before they punch to program they put it in preview, mm-hmm. right? So they can see the shot. 
Now, not always, because sometimes errant shots end up on television. But in a television booth or in a television, uh, more like the truck, you have the option and you put your shot in preview. Is that inner monologue? Is that basically what we're talking about? I think that's part of inner monologue. I don't think it's the whole thing of inner monologue. Because again, inner monologue can be you're just sitting there having a current conversation with yourself. But conversation to me is not monologue. But it is. In theater, there's a difference between dialogue and monologue. You're getting hung up on the word. Hung up it's, on the mono? Yeah, but yeah, the, you're but getting the, hung up. Yeah, because the dialogue, again, is multiple people. Monologue, just because you're having a conversation with yourself, again, if you're going to focus on the word, the mono part there, like you don't have multiple people inside of you. You're having a conversation with yourself that's still mono. I guess my distinction, guys, is I always interpreted inner monologue not as a dialogue, not as a conversation with myself, but just more of like an observation of things that are going on and then how that affects, like Josh, was saying, what I need to do next, where I'm going to go, whether or not I'm going to take the stairs or take the elevator, which level of the parking structure I parked on. Like that to me is my inner monologue. It's kind of like keeping me... Uh, keeping the train on the tracks, if you will. Is that is that a fair inner monologue uh, explanation or understanding? I don't think so. I think you're, those are more... Yeah, well, I don't like, think that's... All right, Gabe, how about when you go to the grocery store and you're making shrimp scampi? Yep. And you're like, damn it, I forgot the lemons. Yeah, that's inner... Or, yeah, if you're talking... Yeah, again, if, I think of any sort of talking to yourself... Well, that's my life. <laughs> For five hours a day, that's my life. I think monologue is just being used here to represent the internal discussion of any sort or an internal voice yes. that you're hearing. So I, All uh, I know is I have one. 100%. Yes. million percent have one. In uh, fact, I would be shocked. Uh, uh, sorry, again. According to <laughs> Healthline.com, it consists of inner speech where you can hear your own voice play out phrases and conversations in your mind. Now, does it have to be your voice? I mean, sometimes I do a different well, voice. Well, then, the then voice... we're getting a little nutso here, right? If you start hearing other people's voices. Saying, voices. What if it's you doing other voices? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys hear a voice inside your head, or are you just thinking? Uh, I'm having tr- This is a great question. Yeah. That's a great question. Because I don't think I hear a voice, yeah. but I'm definitely talking to That's myself. That's correct. I don't hear a voice either. It's not as though Yeah, but do you Jen. hear it when you dream? Uh, you must. Yes, you hear it when you dream. Hear your voice? Oh, this is good. No, you hear someone else's voice. <laughs> like if you got multiple people in your dream, you're not yeah, always talking to the other people. Characters like in the dream, aren't they? Like watching what? a movie. I don't know. I, look, I don't. Dreams, I don't remember so dreams. So I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I can't see that. To me, is even more interesting. More interesting than fifty to seventy percent of people not having an inner monologue is that you don't ever remember your dreams. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't remember them for long, but there are certainly some dreams that are very vivid and very memorable, and you don't have any of those. I don't have any of those. Really? Gabe has no dreams. Not even when you were like 12? So when I was young, like there are certain like dreams, dreams I remember having when I was younger. Yes. But like, I mean, I couldn't tell you any dream I've had in the last 10 to 15 years. Huh. Not a single one. And there have been times where I've woken up and gone, oh, I'm definitely going to remember this. And then I go back to sleep and it's all gone. That's a shame. It's all gone. Do you think that people who don't have an inner monologue, and 800-990-3776, I would love to know if there's anybody out there who recognizes that they don't have an inner monologue, uh, 800-990-3776, that there's a level of mindfulness that they're missing out on, right? Like so much of my quote unquote inner monologue, Joshy, like you said, is sort of dictating the next steps of the day. 
right? And like even right now, it's 712. So my inner monologue is recognizing the clock. And usually we try to get out by 715. We kind of do a fun segment to start the show. And then we roll into the Wisconsin sports space. I'm thinking about the reads I may have to do. I'm thinking about, you know, if Gabe's going to do a read or I'm going to do a read. Like that's all part of the inner monologue that is happening on one side of my brain while I am also continuing to have the conversation on the air. Is that an inner monologue? Yes. I, I think that qualifies. I don't think that qual. According to again this this article that's up up right now at Healthline, I don't think that is what an inner monologue is. Again, you're hearing like your inner voice, I guess. So I was telling Gabe in the break before the show. I think about that clip of Aaron Rodgers where he was sitting in the stands of Lambeau Field and he was talking about everything he sees from the moment that the either he walks from the sideline like cuz you know they're taking the field for the you know first down or when they break the huddle and he starts looking at the field assessing where the safety is assessing where this defensive player is whether or not they're in man whether they're in zone and he goes through a very oh, quick yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like two minute thing of everything he's noticing, and I said to Gabe, "Isn't that an inner monologue?" And your response was, "I don't think so." What? Yes, it is. Because <laughs> uh, Gabe, Isn't when that I broke processing the huddle, I think that's just processing information. Wow, well, we're getting semantical here. That's a word. <laughs> semantical, <laughs> right? But 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 in that you're seeing and reacting, so you're just thinking. That's all that is. Yeah, that's wow, so. That's that, that's where I landed. Like <laughs> seeing and reacting isn't an internal monologue. So we, we were breaking it up. It's not. So that's processing information, mm-hmm. which would be considered thinking. Yeah, and that's not the same as an inner monologue. No, because I'm I'm rea- I'm reacting to an output. There's something going on when I'm having an inner monologue. There's no external output there. It's me talking to myself about the things I w- I'm doing or. It's, Need to do. See, and I think you're being too specific. Yeah, I think, I think an inner monologue right. can be much, much more than just that. I, I think removing thinking is a is a is a place we're going to get, and it's going to be dangerous. Removing thinking. <laughs> yes. If we if we remove the idea of thinking, you are then talking to somebody who's not processing anything in their. So brain. let's just try to simplify this very quickly because we got to get to break. I feel like the inner monologue is that tiny voice that tells you how to interact or how to act in certain spaces. But you guys are telling me that that's the conscience. That's conscience. And then I said it could be Aaron Rodgers sitting in the stands rattling off all of the things he is seeing when he steps on a field before he decides what he's going to do. And then you're telling me that that's just thinking. Yes. So I'm still confused about what the inner monologue is. Thank you, Chewy. Examples of inner monologue, again, from this article at Healthline.com. Most common form is verbal. We essentially talk to yourself. Uh, inner speech can also help support working memory. Uh, you may talk to yourself when you're preparing a speech or presentation where you play what you're going to say in your mind ahead of time. That's inner monologue. Uh, another example, again, kind of, it looks like it's just more or less conversation with yourself. Internal voices can also come in the form of having songs stuck in your head. So that's apparently uh, all part of the internal we're monologue, s- according to Healthline.com. We're splitting you, hairs. So you, know when, you know when you... Uh, Recap an argument you had with somebody and you win the argument in your mind. That, to me, defines inner monologue. See, and Inside Out (laughs) taught us the whole thing about the song replaying in your head is just those people down there in long-term memory sending that core memory up through the chute and then it plays the gum commercial. Remember that scene? Am I the only one that saw Inside Out? Uh, it's correct. Yes. Yes. It's a uh, that's a shame. It's a very very good movie that I feel like you guys might benefit from. (laughs) 
<laughs> chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. I mean, again. Tappity tap of the papers. Chewie's an empty nester. Josh and I don't have kids. See, this is the inner monologue yeah. that I'm having, which I actually am pushing out into the world that it becomes the outer monologue. Listen, we got a lot of stuff to get to this morning. Uh, obviously, Brian Gutekun spoke at the Combine. Let's get to some of the things that he had to say. I also think it's interesting that uh, Paul Hembo, Hembakitis from GetUp, put out a suggestion for the new format of March Madness. And when I sent it to you guys, you had very... Very strong thoughts on that. All that and more coming up on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy this morning. Also have strong thoughts about Palermo's Pizza. You know how much we love it here on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. And you need to make sure you have some sort of Palermo's in your freezer because you never know when you're going to have that busy day. You never know when things are going to sneak up on you. You don't have time to make dinner. And yet you still want something that tastes great. That's where Palermo's comes in if you make sure you have them stocked up in your freezer. Because Palermo's with their family of brands... They have Palermo's, Urban Pie, Connie's, Surfer Boy Pizza, Screaming Sicilian. So, so many different great brands that you can find in your local grocer's frozen food aisle. I like to mix it up. Now, my favorite is the neighborhood pizzeria. It's a little bit of a thicker crust, but every once in a while, I like to go with a thinner crust. So, I look for the Screaming Sicilian Thin and Crispy or the Primo Thin for Palermo's. They have so many different brands, so many different tastes. You're going to find one or multiple like me that you like in your grocer's frozen food aisle. Palermo's, it's Wisconsin's hometown pizza. This is Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. His eyeball. Wait, wait. Where do I get him? I just assumed when I said wait, did you just get us just a suggestion? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Typically on ninety four five ESPN. Take what you give in. Love us We put it on the Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Twitter poll this morning. Do you have an inner monologue? And just to give a little more context to it, guys, because I was looking it up, the inner voice can encompass a wide-ranging thought and emotion, including self-reflection, problem-solving, self-criticism, planning, decision-making, and even daydreaming. Go ahead and weigh in on that on our Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Twitter poll. I'm blown away by this idea that 50 to 70% of people do not have an inner monologue. Oh, sorry, Chew. I thought you wanted to say something there. Let's talk about Brian Gutekunst's inner monologue for a moment. He did a lot of outer monologuing at the Combine this week and was not asked that much about his quarterback, his franchise quarterback, Jordan Love. In fact, I believe it was Matt Schneidman who, in his article on The Athletic, posted that it wasn't until the 17th question that Brian Gutekunst fielded during the public, the podium session, when someone asked him about Jordan Love. But... He did give some insight as to why he thinks Jordan Love had success. Take a listen to Brian Gutekunst yesterday on Jordan Love. Um, I don't know if anything surprised me, um, but it's always good to see um, guys come out of adversity because I think that gives you a level of confidence um, that if you hit it again, that you know there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you just got to keep working and doing the right things. Um, I think it wasn't surprising, but one thing that uh, that was really gratifying to see, I think, was how our team responded to him as a leader out there. And, um, you know, they, they genuinely cared for him and wanted to play for him. And um, that's not something you can teach. So my reaction to that is, of course, because it was such a young offense. Like, they were the youngest in the league, as we have talked about famously over and over and over again. And it's just natural for guys to get along better or to understand the mindset of somebody who is more similar to them in age. And that's taking nothing away from Aaron Rodgers because he would have brought his own 
skill set and and value to the position. But it's not surprising to me that the young offense, especially, rallied around a young player like Jordan Lovegabe. Yeah, it's always tough. I mean, we saw it with Brett. We saw it with Aaron. Anytime you're in the league for as long as those guys end up being in the league, it's tough to connect with a younger generation. Things have changed. They Their interests are different. It's just harder to make that connection. Maybe you can make that connection on football. But, true, I would say part of the reason that you and Brett had such a good relationship, part of that was also you guys were friends off of the field. Like, you knew how, we, how each other thought, and you were able to make more than just, oh, I know what he wants on Fox 2 XY Hook, but you also know all these other things, and it just kind of makes that connection easier and stronger. Well, what I think made it easier for Jordan this year there weren't there weren't egos because they were too young to have egos on offense that's gonna be the question going forward because you have I mean you have five receivers that can play and that proved themselves this past year and you know Holmgren was very was very good at it in our day because I distinctly remember going through a game where I maybe had two two targets or no catches or something like that. And every player has ego, and the ego all stems to wanting to get paid. The money's a big part of it. As much pe- as much as people want to say, no, they're having fun, they're doing the money's a big part of it. And the only way you make money is to catch balls, and I'm talking specifically from the re- uh, receiver standpoint and tight ends, uh, and that's how they get paid. But Holmgren would always come up to me a game, you know, a Wednesday after a game like that, and say, "Don't worry about it. I'll get you the ball this next game." Lafleur's going to have to do that with with this group because managing egos is a huge part of the head coach's job. And you know, everything's fine and dandy uh, up until it's not. You know, Christian Watson knows he's on the cusp of getting paid. But he also knows that he's got to be on the field. Now, if he if he plays another eight, nine games this upcoming year, and let's say Bull Melton, who turned it on at the end of the year, he's going to get cheesed if Watson is off for five games in a row, Melton plays pretty well, and all of a sudden you're putting Watson in play. That I, I, I don't see it as a problem, but I can see it as a potential problem down the road if LaFleur doesn't handle this correctly. But because the wide receiver position and tight end by extension is so uh, collaborative with the quarterback, Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, would this team have been as successful, this young team have been as successful with Aaron Rodgers? I think we know that Rodgers was not investing in this young group the way that Jordan Love was in the offseason. That has been well documented. But it behooves a wide receiver or a tight end to get along with or be on the same page with their quarterback because, as you just mentioned, Chu, very simply, they're catching balls from that guy, right? And the more on the page you are with the quarterback, regardless of who he is and how old he is, the better uh, chance you have at success. So all I want to know, guys, is are we overemphasizing the relationship and the rallying between the wide receivers and the pass catchers, rather, and the quarterback game? Well, but I don't think it's just them. I think it was the entire offense, right? The entire offense rallied around Jordan when he had a horrible month, right? October was terrible. We were having the conversations. Chewy was going, man, if this continues for another few weeks, maybe it's time for uh, Big Red Dog Dog and Sean Clifford to come in and maybe we see what we've got in him. 
But it doesn't seem like that conversation was happening amongst those players. Like, they they stayed the course with Jordan. And I don't think that can be overstated. Because you want to have that leader. That's the guy you want. Because that doesn't happen to every young quarterback. Doesn't seem that that's what happened with someone like Baker Mayfield when he was in Cleveland. Didn't seem like his teammates rallied around him in Cleveland, which is why he's kind of bounced around. Maybe he's now finally found a home. But that doesn't happen with every young quarterback. You'd love it to happen. And the, the way that you know it ended up happening this year for the Packers, I think, is exactly how you would draw it up. Go through a tough time. Everybody rallies around each other, supports Jordan Love, and now you've got this leader and great young team going forward. But that's not how this always plays out. No, and, and I think Jordan's personality is a lot different than Brett and Aaron's. Uh-huh. <clears throat> you know, if Aaron didn't like you, you're out, right? You're out of the group. And Brett was kind of the same way. I mean, I didn't really want to beat Brett at golf if I could or call him out for playing the wrong ball or cheating, which he did, because then I felt like, ah, he's going to get mad at me and he's, you know. Um, Aaron was the 322 same way. 322Y-stick is going to go somewhere else and if I let the guy beat me. And that is an abusive relationship that you were in, too. <laughs> yeah. And Aaron is kind of the same way. Oh, golf you know? stories with Aaron, if you talk to some of the offensive linemen, they haven't said it quite in those terms, but they'll tell you exactly the same thing. We didn't want to beat Aaron because he didn't like it. Yes. And Brett was the same way. And I think what I'm picking up on, he was very mature about it, right? Yes. That's, that's like he handled it well and didn't obviously uh, make guys feel uh, bad about being good at something. Is there an aspect here of like, so the youngness helps. It's certainly a factor. But if he stinks, none of it matters at all. 100%. The team didn't, the Jets didn't point, rally around Zach Wilson. Right. The, the Panthers didn't rally around uh, Bryce Young. Now, granted, there's different structural differences to the teams and sustained success. But if Jordan Love stinks, I guess you probably don't have vocal opponents because they're all so young. But I don't think the team is as gung-ho about Jordan Love if they don't have the proof. Well, I would like Chewy's opinion on this as somebody who has been in a locker room and has watched the process a few times over. Chew, do you give guys the benefit of the doubt if they are not necessarily good right away, you know, world beaters, elite, etc., but you can see that there's potential there and you can see that the effort is there, that these guys are putting in the work. It might not have clicked quite yet, but that they're doing all of the right things to be good, to be a good leader. Veteran players can see... Uh, early on in training camp, really, who's going to make this team and who won't. And I remember I got two examples of it. Joe Andrewsy, uh was a guard from a small school uh, from Staten Island. And his brothers uh, would be at every training camp practice. And his brothers, you know, I got to know them a little bit, and they come up and, like, I'm so nervous, cut days coming up. I'm like, don't worry, Joe's going to make the team. I've seen enough. The same thing with Donald Driver, you know, seventh-round pick out of Alcorn. Um, and and I remember Donald would get very few reps because our our receiver group was pretty much established when he was around, and he was sweating it, sweating it, and you can just tell. Like, don't worry, Donald, you're going to be here. You can you can tell. So it, it's 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 kind of neat to see those younger late round draft picks stress a little because I did too. I was like, I had no idea in '92 if I was going to make this team or whatever. And you didn't have somebody um, telling you, oh, hey, don't worry, Chew. Instead, you had Jackie Harris yeah. telling you to run wrong yeah, routes. Yeah, run the corner out here. <laughs> so, it does, yeah, it, 
It does feel like, guys, it was a bit of a perfect storm also, right? Because it wasn't as simple as Jordan Love having the skills that, you know, showed that he would eventually be successful in the league. And it wasn't as simple as his personality being something that brought people to him. I also think if he doesn't go through what he went through, where the human brain loves the idea of villains and heroes, and Rodgers quickly became a villain, maybe not specifically in the locker room, but just narrative-wise... Jordan Love inevitably fell into the hero role, didn't he? Like the black hat, white hat sort of thing. And so there were a lot of people out there, fans uh, included, who were rooting for Jordan simply because he wasn't Aaron Rodgers. He was the antithesis of Aaron Rodgers. So I think all of those elements kind of conspired to to making this like perfect storm of Jordan Love having a young team around him that would rally around him when he went through tough times, when he went through that adversity, and now looks to be on that upward trajectory at the quarterback position game. Yeah, it was a lot easier for him because... It, it... The locker room was so young, and they got rid of a lot of the veterans. Like, the only one who was really tight, and we talked about this at the time, was David Bakhtiari, who was still around. But when Aaron went through it and Brett left, it seemed like everybody was pretty split. Not just the fan base, but the locker room. And with Jordan being, you know, the the younger guys, of course, pulling for Aaron, some of the older guys wanting Brett back, especially after they just went to an NFC Championship game. And with the roster being as young as it was, it seemed like everybody would just naturally gravitate Jordan being their guy and ended up working out for them in the end. But there's going to be pressures put on him this upcoming year. And we, you know, everyone thinks he'll handle it fine. It's an unknown because now you're going to, get paid 52 or 50 whatever million dollars a year, that's pressure, right? That's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. There's pressure of, all right, you went uh, deep into the playoffs last year. There's pressure there. I mean, I think from what we've seen, he's pretty cerebral, cerebral on how he handles things, but there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. So it's, it's exciting because we think we know. But we really, we really don't. I mean, why do guys take a step back? Why did Jalen Hurts take a step back? Well, we may think it's coaching. He lost two of his guys. I mean, players at Josh Allen. Why does he take a step back? So that's something they gotta, they gotta prevent. We think we're on a good track, but you know, the unknown. You can't rest on your laurels. That's what Charlene would say. I don't know what the hell laurels are, but she would say that. Laurel and Hardy. Where would your laurels be? <laughs> Is it your backside? Rest on your laurels. Yeah, rest I mean, it's got to be it's got to be your tuchus, right? I, I, my guess is it. I see. Maybe it's no your one knows. You ever rest on rest your on elbows? your elbows? Yeah, you do a little head thing like this. <laughs> all right, guys, have you tried Celsius Energy Drink yet? If you haven't, can I tell you all about it? It's the clean energy drink that you need that I need to stay active and energized all day long. And I was on the West Coast the last three days. You know what that does to my clock? Who messes it up? You know what helps? Celsius Energy Drink. You can find it at Pick and Save. You can find it on Amazon. Stay active and energized all day long with Celsius Essential Energy Drinks. You are listening to Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. What do we do? We've, Where we've, do we go from here? We've, we've talked about insulation. We've talked about fantasy camp. And now we've talked about Burning Man. We've hit for the cycle in the first five minutes of the show. On 94.5 ESPN. Reaction rolling in on the ESPN Milwaukee talk and text line. Yep, it makes complete sense that you love and the young offense got along. Look at Rodgers when he was closer in age with Jordy and Cobb and James Jones, etc. To the point that James Jones is still on TV saying Rodgers is the most talented quarterback ever. We also had some questions about Laurels. Clint weighing in saying, I think Laurels 
are your inner monologue. Joshi, that's <laughs> not true, is it? No. In ancient Greece, victorious athletes were presented with laurel wreaths to wear. They were and still are signs of great accomplishment, unless you start resting on them. I'd rather have a trophy. <laughs> so that's because the flowers die. Is the, is the is the little crown that they give after winning the Olympics? A laurel is a plant which they were cl- they were classically made of. It's an aromatic evergreen tree. But yes, true. Like you're thinking shrub. of the right thing. It yes. looks like yeah. the, yeah. it looks like the mm-hmm. those are made of laurels. What is that? That's a that's a horseshoe. It's shaped like a yes. horseshoe. Those it's, are laurels. So when they would say "Don't rest on your laurels," they meant don't think because you have this accomplishment yeah. or this sign of accomplishment that you can just proceed without doing more work i guess uh we were talking about jordan love and gabe you came up with some information you found some information about a projection for uh jordan love's contract yeah so Spotrack, which is one of those websites that does a lot with contracts it's a great website to use if you're ever wondering what you know somebody's cap hit is things of that nature uh so they put out an article today kind of putting out some projections for seven quarterback extension candidates uh and they are projecting that jordan love's um, extension is going to be four years, $200 million, with $87.5 million of that guaranteed at signing and 150 of it practically guaranteed, meaning practically guaranteed uh, in that they've put in roster bonuses and he's going to hit those marks um, for the roster bonuses for the first couple of years of the contract. So th- the important part here, I would say, is it would be tacking on four years to this upcoming year so with the base salary, bonus proration, all that sort of things, his cap hit would still be around $13 million for 2024, then jump up to basically around $50 million for 25, 26, 27, and 28. First of all, I'd be curious how accurate Spotrack has been in these sort of contract projections. Um, they are saying that it would be a $40 million raise this season with this projection. Chu, you have said that 50 feels right to you. We yeah. have argued that maybe they should go up and above it if he, you know, if he resets the market and whatnot. But do you like this projection for Jordan Love? No, I think that's fair. You know, I think it's good for him. It's good for the Packers, which gives them uh, a handful of years until you have to potentially start paying superstars. And the superstars being mainly on the offensive side of the ball with their tight ends and receivers. Uh, Watson would probably be the first one that would come up. So, no, that's that's, that's a fair deal. Uh, I think I saw that Brian Goodkins did say that he was going to be speaking to Jordan Love's agents while at the Combine. The athletes first folks were expected to be there, so maybe those conversations start to heat up. Uh, very quickly, I want to pivot here um, because I was really interested in what um, Brian Goodkins said about the defense sort of needing to match the success rate and the trajectory of the offense this year. So let's take a listen to Brian Gutekunst on the scheme change and Jeff Halfley, L. Jeffe. If you thought I was getting away from that, you are absolutely sorely mistaken uh, at the Combine. I think, you know, the thing that, uh, and I'm still, we're still kind of getting to know each other and stuff, but just going through the process and getting to know Jeff a little bit, um, just really like his energy, kind of his leadership style. Um, you know, I think the expectations and standards that he's going to put forth for our, for our football team. I um, uh, just, I think, you know, the, that's going to be the play style is going to be a big, big thing for him. And I think uh, it'll be uh, very welcomed. Uh, I think we've got a really good nucleus of players coming back. Uh, we need to fill those each room with enough competition that those guys feel that and can, can grow kind of like our offense did this past year. Um, and that'll be on us to do that. So, um, but I do think um, we're in good hands right now. 
Big emphasis, though, as we have talked about, guys, will be the safety position and the linebacker position for the Green Bay Packers. And Gabe, I heard you say this the other day, that you do not want the Packers spending top dollar or resetting the market. In fact, I I wrote this down. I don't want the Packers to have the highest paid safety or reset the safety market, whoever that ends up being. I don't know if that's the right mindset. I would be okay with the Packers resetting the market if they felt they had a game changer generational player at safety and thought that they could get that in free agency. But I don't think you can get that in free agency. I think that's kind of the point. Any one of those guys that's going to be resetting the market, they're staying with their teams. Safeties are hard to find. Teams aren't letting safeties walk out the door. And I think a move that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made yesterday, getting rid of Shaq Barrett, kind of continues to point towards them franchise tagging the best safety on the market in Antoine Winfield Jr. Now, if Winfield Jr. walks out the door, sure, reset the market. Be aggressive. Go get him. But if the best safety left on the market is somebody that nobody's ever heard of in Geno Stone, who's a free agent from the Ravens, like I don't want to just get desperate and go, oh, that's the well, we, we got to pay for him because that's the best one left. At that point, try to draft and develop one. Try to figure out different things that you can do defensively. If you think you can get one of those guys, sure, I just don't think that you can. It's much like quarterbacks. I mean, quarterbacks just don't hit the market. If you have a really good one, teams are going to lock them up because that's the way it works. Same thing with defense. If you have a really good safety, chances are you're going to have to draft it. It's really hard to get one that you absolutely love that's on the free agent market. And I love that you use Geno Stone as an example because obviously when you read about him, he had a breakout season in 2023, but there are knocks on maybe some of his athleticism. But my point is, if you think that you can develop, you're obviously not drafting, so it's not the old draft and develop, but if you think you can develop a guy who has all of the makings of being a great safety but just hasn't been in the right scheme yet or hasn't been in the right um, had the right mentorship yet I would be okay with trusting your gut trusting your vision if you're Brian Gutekunst and the scouting department uh, but you can't so if if you think that he you're getting a value there then get him at the value don't overpay for it I think no, that I, I you agree. know Get, get him at the value and then have him overplay that. And then if you end up having to pay him on another contract, go ahead and do that. But I just don't think that top dollar safety right now exists in the free agent market. That's why I was not opposed to a trade, you know, to balance the two sides out. And I don't think you have to have a top five defense to win a Super Bowl here, but you certainly have to have better, I believe, than a 16, 17, 18 in, in that range. But don't force it. I mean, there's no Charles Woodson out there. Right? No. There's no Julius Peppers, who were great signings uh, by Ted back in the day. Um, and the chances are, if you see a guy that you may think fit your scheme, chances are the team he's already on, they're seeing the same thing. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting because if they do bring Savage back, he's he's limited, and I don't think he can do the things that Halfley wants in his defense. But this is going to take time. You know, when you go from a 3-4 to a 4-3, it doesn't, it's not overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, th- there's an evaluation process in order to, to get the players that Halfley wants where he thinks he can be a top-10 defense. I don't think it's going to be this year. I don't. I think they'll be better schematically. Um, we're going to know if it was the talent or it was Joe Barry or it was a combination of both after this year, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. It's going to take a little time. I guess I wonder why the Giants haven't gone ahead with that transition tag on Xavier McKinney. 
because I have liked everything I have seen from him. I actually think he would be a great fit for the Green Bay Packers. And yet, you're kind of waiting to see what the Giants are going to do with him. If you were Brian Gutekunst, would you have engaged the Giants in trade talk for Xavier McKinney? Well, we got to wait to see what they do first, right? Because if they but, don't but, do anything, but, but, he becomes a free agent. But let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't you just... Okay, so so let's strategize this for a second. Okay. If you think, let's just say Brian Gutekunst thinks that Xavier McKinney is the guy who can be that missing link in his uh, with his DBs. Do you engage with the Giants now and say, we'd be interested in trading for him? Don't put the transition tag on him? No. Well, well no, because they the- have to do something with him. Because he's not he, he's not under contract. They can't they can't trade Xavier McKinney because he doesn't have a contract for 2024. But they don't have to do it now, and they did. You know, my first big deal, they were doing the same thing with me. Before free agency started, they were negotiating, right? And one of their... Uh, cards they had in the deck is they said they were going to transition tag me and then I wound up signing so there's no rush to put the tag on right now because free agency hasn't started and isn't there a grace period Gabe where you can negotiate yeah the league- early with your players well my you- guess is they're in the middle of a negotiation they don't want to pull that punch yet unless they have to you can negotiate with your players too so yeah. you know Whoever whoever's going to be unrestricted free. So Yash Nyman, the Packers can negotiate with Yash up until his contract expires, right? Like yeah. up until that contract expires, they can they can negotiate with him, and then when the legal tampering period opens, then he can start talking with. All other right. Teams. So educate me on this game because the transition tag is a little less known mm-hmm. than the franchise tag. So they put the transition tag on McKinney, and then he can still test the waters. He Correct. can still go out yeah. and see. So let's say the and that's where you're talking about top dollar. Because mm-hmm. if he's a free agent, Packers would have to pay top dollar in order to secure him. But if you think he's the guy, couldn't that be a good thing? And you would also have to give up draft pick compensation. They like, got a lot of draft picks. They got a lot of that. Can't they use it? Again, this is all uh, pending if you think he could be the guy, if you think he could be the difference between where you are and where you want to be. Again, I, I, I lean on if another team's not willing to do what you're doing, I think you have to look long and hard of whether or not you want to give up both the money and the draft pick compensation. Because yes, they have a lot of draft picks, but they also have certain needs that they need to address. They got to figure out what the future of the running back position is. They need offensive line depth. You have other things defensively that you want to take care of. So I'm okay, especially with the transition tag, I would be okay if you think Xavier McKinney's the guy, okay, go pay him. But yeah, do but I you're want to have to overpay him? But Gabe. that's that's what I'm saying. Like, do yeah. I want to overpay and yes. then give draft pick compensation on top of that? Because then that's double dipping in the overpay. Because Jen, what do the Giants care? Like, go get another offer. Go get. We're probably going to match it. Hey team. Hey Packers. Go do our job for us. You know, set the market, and then we have that card in a back pocket saying no. And I don't think the Packers ever operate from a place of desperation. It's no. just not their style. So I don't see them going out there and being like, hey, we really want this guy. We really want him. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't think you show your hand early in the process. But that transition tag does make things a little bit more interesting. Again, if you feel like he's the best option, I am seeing people on the talk and text line weighing in about Buda Baker saying he doesn't, but I believe he's still under contract. Yeah. Is the distinction there? Just talk about Buda Baker because his name yeah. and it's recognizable. Yeah, it's great. Well, he had that one cool play the one time. Yeah, it's like well, he just gets brought up so much, and it, I, I, he's fine. I'm sure. I, I, is he that good? It's like he's not Charles Woodson. I also don't think. I think you. I think it's a pipe dream to expect the Packers to give up money and draft compensation. Yes, even with the salary cap going, even up? with it. I think. I think it's 
The Packers are obsessed with draft picks in a way few organizations are. They are unwilling to part ways, even with like players we know are pretty good. They are hesitant to do it because they can tell the story. Like, I think if you tell Goody you could get a Charles Woodson type safety, he does it. Anything short of that, he's going to hem and haw. I guess my question to you guys is this, though. Is there any guarantee, and I feel like I know the answer, but let me just pose it anyway, that next year you're going to have a game-changing generational type safety that you can throw back there who can do your dirty work? Well, no. Probably not, no. Well, you know, the ideal thing is to draft one that you can develop. But the draft class is bad. No, I'm saying next year, yeah. not this year, next year. Maybe the draft class next year is a little maybe bit better. Maybe cross your fingers, and, cross your toes, cross your eyes. Yeah, and, 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 but, and but that doesn't thing... mean you should get desperate now and throw money at somebody who may not be the guy. I just don't if Halfley has emphasized and prioritized this position specifically. I know I don't want to sit here and be like have tunnel vision, single vision, only sitting here wondering who the next great safety for the Green Bay Packers is going to be. But it does feel like the Packers find themselves in a precarious situation given the draft situation, given the free agent situation. And you can't just cross your fingers and hope that, oh, we'll get through this year. It'll be fine. We'll cobble together the defensive backs. We'll cobble together the guys who are handling our nickel. And then hope that the next year you can find somebody out there um, who can who is what you were looking for this year. Like that to me feels a little. Yeah. But sometimes that's what you have to do. And, like and, if the market doesn't present itself, that's what I mean. That's more or less kind of what they did with their offensive line this year, especially after David Bakhtiari went down. They were starting a seventh rounder at left tackle, ended up working out. Same thing and, with quarterback. We found out about you know Valentine. They had injuries there. You had to kind of cobble together, and then you find out that the seventh rounder can actually play. And Jen, in regards to the cap going up thirty million, it's a big nothing burger. It, it's a big nothing burger because everyone's cap is going up thirty million. You know. It's not like the Packers are going to be in better cap shape because because they're getting this thirty. They they stay the exact same. Would you agree with that? I mean, everyone's getting the thirty million, which yeah. will be dispersed accordingly. I think it just gives them more flexibility. Uh, yes, yeah. Goody's put words to that. Um, I think the Packers are going to take it to get cap healthy. I think if we do anything, sure. as as an organization, you're going to clear as much dead cap as you can with the added, and you have to do less of those restructures that you thought. Is that what he said? He didn't say that, but if I were to diagnose okay. with the Packers, but Goody said in his uh, in the with the meeting of local media, it was basically like what it does is it gives us more options than we had before, which would lead me to believe that hey, don't expect a lot of big splashes this year in free Correct. agency. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with the draft. Wait till. Wait till next year and the year after. If the perfect and look, the David Bakhtiari thing is going to give him twenty million dollars, whatever they decide to do there. Even if they decide that Bach is going to stick around and they restructure his contract, they're going to get a bunch of money returning off of that as well. They'd have a little bit of room if they want to try to make something happen for one player. I, I just don't see that one player out there right now. No, I, I just don't. Yeah. Eight hundred nine nine zero thirty seven seventy six. We are asking you about how you want the Packers to handle the safety position. Gabe says he does not want them to break the bank. He does not want them to reset the market at safety, uh, but mostly because he doesn't think the guy is out there that is worth doing that for. For your next night out, make Aria the acclaimed restaurant inside St. Kate the Arts Hotel your dinner destination. Aria is nestled on the second floor of St. Kate. It is an artful dining experience that captivates with its culinary creativity, delighting in its offering of artisanal American cuisine. The restaurant transcends tradition, leaning into the realm of playful and inventive flavors, so you should come and experience the magic of Aria, where every bite 
is a work of culinary artistry. Learn more and make reservations at aria at saintkate.com. That's aria at saintkate.com. It's Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. Have you never had a good pie? I've had fine pies. <laughs> you get no pie. Right now, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> seems that way anyway. <laughs> but if we get him on those dating sites, it feels like maybe he could. Yeah. On 94.5 ESPN. ESPN.com's Matt Miller did his mock draft after the Senior Bowl, and he has three picks. I think he did the first. He might have even done the first 100. I'm not sure. Do you no, he did was? the first two. Because if he oh, did the first, first 100. First, first two drafts. First two rounds. would have had five picks. Yeah, if they the did the first 100, 100 yes. And uh, we will reveal who he thinks the Packers should take with those picks right after this on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy.